thing where kids can go and and learn about Jesus and have a lot of fun. So, let's make sure this is turned on before. It is. Do you want to have a repeat of last week? Before I begin my sermon, uh, but, well, if you could, um, I know that many of you watch the news, and I don't know if you know many, I'm originally from West Virginia, and my home state is underwater. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, almost every county in the state, except for the, the Panhandle, has been declared a state emergency. Um, the Greenbrier Resort, actually it's a famous resort where if you like golf, they have a golf tournament there. They had to cancel it because it was under three foot of mud. Um, so please pray for West Virginia. Um, there's been around 24 people that's already been killed in this flood. It's worse than the one that happened in 2001. It's wiped away entire towns. Um, so please keep them in prayer. Um, actually, we had my, my half-sister, uh, her, uh, she had a relative who was trapped in her home. Uh, she had to get into the second part of her home because the bottom part was underwater. So if you don't mind, I actually would like to pray and, and for West Virginia. And, um. Father God, we just lift up West Virginia right now. We would lift up the people there as they deal with the aftermath of a one of the, the biggest floods in its history. We pray for those who have lost loved ones that you would help them grieve. We pray for those who have lost homes that you would provide housing and shelter and food. We pray for the, the godly Christian men and women who are going there to help, that they'd be able to spread your light in a hopeless situation. Be with the people there. Help them heal. But also bring them to a knowledge of you. I want to I wanna talk to you about a, a time that there's a guy that I knew at my one of my old churches, actually, uh, in Dallas, Texas. Um, when I first met Skip... I remember looking at him, and I could tell he was a perpetual bachelor because he was probably in his 50s, but his hair was a little little messed up, and, and his clothes didn't match, and they were a little wrinkled. And I was like, oh, I said, we got, we got a lifelong bachelor right here. I was like, um, and I walk up to him and begin to talk to him, and, and he was, as I got to know him, he was one of the, the, the nicest people I'd met. Knew so much about the Bible. But our conversations were generally just kept towards church. I would see him on Sunday morning and, and Sunday evening if I went on Sunday evening. And then, we, uh, and then Wednesday, we had a Wednesday night Bible study. We, if, I would see him there if I'd go on Wednesday night. And then uh, any, any special occasion the church had, like potlucks, dinners, and things like that. And so for years, I got to, to know him. But to be honest, it was on a, on a superficial level. Think about it. I mean, church relationships can be, if we had let them, very superficial. You see each other Sunday morning, you say hello, you may say, how you doing? And, and, and to be honest, too, how many people, are, even if they're having a bad day, are actually going to say, man, today is this, it's this horrible. 
I remember one time I actually told, I was really down, and I, I told a pastor, I was like, how my day actually was going, and I could tell he got uncomfortable, because I just got real. Well, anyway, me and Skip, that was our, the extent of our relationship for about three years. And then I go on and begin full-time ministry and pastor a few churches. And when I was in Kansas, uh, I, I got a, a text from one of my friends saying, please pray for Skip, he's missing. And I was like, oh, oh okay. Man, I hope he's okay. And I joked around and even said, uh, I remember I sent a text, I was like, maybe he met a, met a woman and they, they took off in the Las Vegas and got married. And then I watched the news. Skip died at his home. And it took him 10 days to find his body. And, and, and that doesn't make sense, does it? When you first hear that, you're like, wait, he died at his home, but it took him 10 days to find his body. You see, Skip had a secret. And no one knew that the secret. Skip was an outstanding member of our church. He, he actually was in leadership, but no one knew of Skip's secret. Everyone was shocked. You see, Skip was a hoarder. And I'm talking about the TV show type hoarder. I don't know if you ever watched that TV show, Hoarders, where, where A and A, Arts Entertainment, they... They use basically someone's mental illness slash sin to, to basically make an entertaining, disgusting TV show about how people allow them, their lives to get so out of mess, out of whack that, that they, their house becomes almost a prison. See, what we didn't know about Skip was that he, his mother had died, and this came out after actually the fact, his mother had died, and he inherited her home, and he wouldn't throw anything she had away. And he just began accumulating things. And, and he actually, it, it got so bad that it was up to the roof with stuff. And, and it got infested with rats. And he even, he, his bathroom got so messed up that it, with stuff that he, he eventually quit using the bathroom in his bathroom and began collecting it in other ways. And... and and so his life was totally out of kilter. And he became a prisoner of his home. And from what I understand, what happened was he had so much stuff in his house that he tripped and knocked a bunch of it fell on him. And so Skip's obsession, his prison, entrapped him in the Dallas heat, and he died. And when I heard about this, I was in shock. But then I began to think about it. I was like, why did I, did I not know about this? I knew the man for three years. I was like, because our relationship was shallow. Our fellowship was shallow. And that night as I began to ponder my relationship with Skip, and I, 
And I wasn't his best friend or anything like that, but I felt conviction. I felt conviction because the church is supposed to be a place of community. That we are supposed to be a place where we build into one another. And no one from the pastor to myself had one clue about Skip. I, I knew that something was wrong with Skip. Once in a while I'd get at glimpses because like his vehicle was really messy. And for me to say that someone's vehicle is messy, ask my wife, is, that's, that's, that's saying something? But I thought maybe, I was like, oh, he's just a bachelor. I mean, I understand. He doesn't have a wife or a girlfriend kind of helping him coordinate this kind of stuff. And for guys, sometimes it can be hard. But I begin to be convicted. Because you see, we have a need as Christians, we have a need to have fellowship with one another. And not just fellowship, I mean, by potlucks or anything like that. I mean, authentic fellowship with one another. And so today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And we're going to be looking at four things we can learn about fellowship in this passage. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you could turn to your Bibles, please. I will be uh, preaching from the Net Bible. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And awe came over everyone, and many wondrous and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who were believed were together and held everything in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone who had need. And every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from home, house to house, sharing the food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people and the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. I'm going to give you a, uh, just a quick, and I do mean brief, overview of this, this chapter. Um, what's going on is this is actually after the ascension of Christ. Christ has, has ascended to heaven and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And this is also after Pentecost where the Holy Spirit had descended upon all believers... And so they were giving the gift of the Holy Spirit where everyone was indwelled by the Spirit. And the early church, what they begin to do is they begin to have fellowship with each other. Deep, authentic fellowship where they are spending every day together building into one another's lives, celebrating Jesus Christ, being unified, and having fellowship. And so, what is the first thing that we can learn about their fellowship in Acts chapter 2? The first thing about fellowship is fellowship involves community. Fellowship involves community. Verses 42 through 43. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And awe came over everyone. And many wondrous signs came about by their 
that by the apostles. You know, Christians are not meant to be alone. I think in our society, especially Western society, we have done a disservice to one another by, especially many people I know, I talk to, to them and they're like, oh, I, I, I'm under the teaching of, and they'll name a famous preacher, and I'm like, how do you go to their church? Oh, I watch them on, 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 online every day, or I watch them, uh, watch them on TV. And I'm like, You're, that's not a church. That's just the preaching. Or somebody will tell me, like, oh yeah, I go to this church or that church. And I'm like, where, where, are, you, are you really involved? Oh, I go on Easter and Sunday. Easter and Christmas. Christians are not meant to be alone. True fellowship involves togetherness. Notice that the, the, the people, they met and devoted themselves to teaching. They put themselves under leadership and they learned. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't come in and say, well, I know everything, so I'm, I don't have to be under the teaching of this person. They, they had an attitude where they, they put themselves under someone so that, the, that God could teach them. They allowed themselves to be taught. The word fellowship here in the, it means koinonia in the Greek. And, and this implies, this word implies a business partnership connected through work or marriage relationship. So the main usage of this word implies togetherness. Togetherness. So basically, the fellowship that Christians are supposed to have with one another is equal to a business relationship. Or a marriage relationship. And for anyone who works in business, you know that things get real in the business community. And if you're married, you know things get real in the marriage, marriage home. We're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be alone. In our worship, many people don't think that they should be, they should just come in, sit down, and then leave. There's, there's a lot of people who do this. I had a friend, um, his, his dad, uh, I was sitting there talking to him, and his dad's like, yeah, I found a great church. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, um, it's so big that no one ever really talks to me. I'm, I'm like, what? It's so big that no one ever really talks to me. I sit down in the back, and there's nothing wrong with sitting in the back, by the way, and this, this is what he did. Um, he, he said, I sit down in the back, I listen to the sermon, and I get up before anyone can talk to me, and I leave and I go home. He doesn't have community. This is not how God intended the church to be. Fellowship is more than just going to church on Sunday. It, it's more than a supper or a meal. Fellowship means being authentic with one another. I was reading about loneliness last week, and I came across a statistic that was actually disturbing because, you know, in our society, we are so connected. Think about it. Who in here has a smartphone? Pull out your smartphones real quick. Who has a smartphone? 
Almost everyone. On this smartphone, I guarantee, who has Facebook? So, and in theory, you should be connected to hundreds of people that you call friends. Many people that are in this church. But did you know in our society right now, the statistic I read was that 25% of Americans are habitually lonely. 25% of Americans are habitually lonely. This doesn't mean a little bit lonely. This is habitually lonely. And this 25% includes Christians. This is a shame. Actually, this is an epidemic. If there was a disease going around where 25% of people got it, there'd be a national emergency declared. 25%, that's one in what? Four. One in four people are habitually lonely. Yet in the Christian community, many times we set up ourselves as Lone Ranger Christians. Where we don't, we don't get real with people. We don't share our problems. We don't share our struggles, our failures, our successes. We become like the Lone Ranger. But there is no Lone Ranger Christians. We cannot do this alone. We cannot do this alone. So far we've seen that fellowship involves community. Well, fellowship also involves unity. Fellowship involves unity. Verses 44, Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All who believed were together, all who believed were together and held everything in common. The early church was, was unified. They had community and they were unified. They had a common bond. They served Christ. Think about the people in this church right here. All the backgrounds, all the walk of, walks of lives, all the personality types. None of us are the same. Yet, we're supposed to be single-minded in our community to follow and serve Christ. This, is, this does not mean that you become Autobots. This means that you have a unifying thing that binds us together, and that's Jesus. Part of this community in the early church as well as today was seeing others come to know the Savior. You see, we're, we're to have unity as a church. And, and that's hard sometimes because unity and community involves letting go of ego. I've been in ministry many times before and there's a word as a pastor that you hear a lot when people talk to you and it's the word I. I think, I don't like, I was offended, I was hurt, they bothered me, you hear me sometimes too, I am thinking about leaving. Many times we make church about us, but I never see that in Scripture. 
If you look at the early church, they were unified together. That they realized that it wasn't about me, it's about Christ. It's about bringing Him glory. It's about building into one another and loving people through the power of Jesus Christ. It involves compromise and submission to one another. Having unity involves letting go of the ego and submitting. For some people, that's music. One of the biggest conflicts in churches is when music begins to change because just like anything, culture changes, music changes. The music that we like today is not what's going to be good. good people are not going to like tomorrow. But it involves so much conflict in churches. I've actually read and, and seen my, and personally people get so offended about the music that they quit going to church. And think about how illogical that is. It's basically like a kid with a toy box full of toys that is playing with his friends. And they get mad because maybe their friend introduces the G.I. Joe with the action grip. And they don't like it. And so they get up and they storm off and leave. All that does is create disruption and when there's one less person to play with. It involves compromise and submission to one another. You know, some people leave churches for legitimate reasons, such as heresy or improper doctrine. An example of this would be gay marriage. There's a reason why the Episcopal Church, there's a lot of Episcopal churches now that are part of the African Episcopal Church. It's because they split from the American Episcopal Church because of that issue and went to the Af- and submitted themselves under the African Episcopal Church because they were like, you know what, we want our church to have a biblical worldview. But there's also some silly things that we leave church for. You know, I actually knew a couple in a church I attended before I was a, a, a minister, a full-time minister, and they were telling me, like, I'm thinking about leaving the church. I'm like, oh, why? I was like, please don't do that. You bring so much talents to the church. Well, I just didn't like what the pastor was preaching about. Uh, what are you talking about? I think he's been doing a great job. Well, he gave a sermon where he said that I was supposed to give a, a tenth of what I own to God. Like, yeah? So? I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I said, okay, well, that's great. You don't agree with it. Talk to the pastor about it. I said, I personally, I hold to that as well. Doesn't mean I don't always do it, but I hold to it. Well, we're just thinking about leaving. We don't like when the pastor challenges us. And I was like, that's a heart problem. You need to pray about that. We are to be unified as a church. So far we've seen that fellowship involves community, but also involves unity. What else does it involve? Fellowship involves sacrifice. Fellowship involves sacrifice. Verses 44 through 45. All who believed were together and held everything in common. And they begin selling their property and possessions, distributing their proceeds to everyone as anyone who had a need. 
The early church understood that true fellowship costs something. The, the word he used for selling property here was included their land as well as personal possessions. They understood that if we're one body, one family, we take care of one another. Actually, we're commanded to in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, it says, contribute to the needs of the saint. Saints, pursue hospitality. We are to sacrifice for our fellow brothers and sisters. Um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. And some of you are going to be saying, where is Jack going to go with this passage? 27 through 29. For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. A person should examine themselves in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For the one who eats and drinks without careful regard for the body eats and drinks judgment against himself. Now, I've heard many sermons where the pastor says, if you have sin in your life, you need to examine yourselves. And while there's a theological principle behind this when you take communion, uh, what Paul is really writing here is, I don't know if you know much about the Corinthian church, but they were a bad church. They were bad, really, really bad. They had a lot of immorality going on, but also they were really, really rich. And they had rich members, and they had poor members, and the rich, me- the rich members knew of the poor members' problems, yet they ignored them and continued to drink and eat and be happy while the poor people suffered. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, you are ignoring your brothers and sisters when they have a legitimate need, and you're take- partaking of communion. That you're basically saying, I'm unified in Christ, I'm, I'm saved by the, his power and blood, yet those guys that are having problems, forget you. Go eat cake, be happy. And some of these members in the church were not helping those in need in flagrant disregard. This could range not just from a material thing, but not providing a helping hand when someone knows of a physical need, but also the emotional and spiritual needs. You know, it's easy to open a checkbook, but it can be harder to open your life. It's easier to open a checkbook, but it can be hard to open your life. Because you know what? This involves being vulnerable with people. It involves being messy. People are complex. People are needy. People can, their lives sometimes are messy. And they're sometimes hard to love. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to have authentic community with one another. So far we've seen that fellowship involves community, it involves unity, and it involves sacrifice. What else does it involve? Fellowship involves praise. Fellowship involves praise, verse 46 through 47. And every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread 
from home to home, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number every day to those who were being saved. They were meeting together and giving praise for what God was doing in their life and going to do. They, they were sincere in their, their praise. They, they, they were meeting together in the temple courts, giving praise for what God was doing. The question is, do we give authentic praise? And I'm not just talking about Aunt Betty Sue's hip. Like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for healing my Aunt Betty Sue who had a hip surgery. Well, that's important and good. Are, are we actually giving praise to God for the things in our lives? Like, thank you, my daughter is struggling with drug addiction and you've healed her for this. Or, I have this need, my, my marriage isn't going the way it's supposed to. Actually, I have a good marriage, but it's an example. I need help. Or, thank you, God, for what you're doing in the world. giving praise to one another, saying God is working in our lives and He's working in our church. It's so easy to focus on the negative. Like, oh, church attendance was down or church attendance was up. But think about even in our own church what God has been doing. The question is, are we meeting together, spending time together? Are we being authentic with one another? So far, we've seen that fellowship involves community, it involves unity, and it involves sacrifice, and it involves prayer, praise. The question is, how can I apply this to my own life? The question is, are you part of a community? You may be like, well, that, that's odd. That's an odd question. I go to this church. Of course I am. There's a difference between going to church and being part of a church. Let me say that again. There's a difference between going to church and being part of a church. Being part of a church means not only submitting yourself to the to leadership, but also involves giving your life, opening your life to others in the church and building into the church. A good way to do this is community groups. If you're not part of one, I urge you to get plugged in. Me and my wife, when we first started going over here about a year ago, uh, I remember Pastor Ben told us, he's like, oh, you have to get involved in a community group. So It's so essential to the church. And, and I already knew this. I was a big fan. We called them small groups at my church. But I, I think that they're essential because it's, it's so easy to get lost in, in church sometimes. And uh, so we started going to one. And there was people there I probably would never talk to because sometimes they sit on that end of the row or that end. And so I would have probably never talked to them. And they begin to build, open their lives to us. And I learned some things that more than probably I ever wanted, <laughs> to be honest. But it's authentic. It's real. And even my wife, she talks about it. She's like, I'm so glad that we're part of a community group and part of this church because people are real with each other. Authentic. Scripture states we're part of a body. 
And when, when, it, when it's not doing their job, the body suffers. And so another question is about being a part of a community is are you involved in the church? Are you giving your time, your talents, your treasure to the church? There's places that you are, God has specifically gifted you in that you can help reach the kingdom for Christ. And many of you are not doing anything with it. I urge you to get involved. But get involved with each other's lives. You saw in the Scriptures, community is contagious. When people see authentic relationships with one another, they want that. I read an article about millennials. The big thing is millennials now. And uh, the thing about millennials, the article is talking about, to reach them with the gospel is that they are tired, sick and tired of fake relationships. And there's a lot of that in the church, but also in, or in the community. They want people to be authentic, to be real with each other, to build into each other's lives. Are you unified? Or do you just go to church to get what you want from it? Are you sacrificing with involvement, friendship? How many, how many people here do you truly know and spend time with? And are you giving Him praise for reaching others for, with the Gospel? Be authentic. Have fellowship with one another. Be real. You know, as I, I, I sit there and watch the video, it was all over the news by this time, of Skip. I, I cried, which is a rare thing for me. Because I cried for Skip because he suffered alone. He suffered. No one knew his secret except a few of his neighbors. Even then they didn't know how bad it was. But he suffered when his church family should have known something. And I asked myself, I was like, you know, if I'd have been authentic with Skip and shared my life with him, maybe I would have had that opportunity to have that conversation with him. Now, now it doesn't mean that he would have done anything with it, because hoarding is a, a mental illness as well as, a, I believe, a sinful habit pattern. It's basically not letting go of things and hoarding all this stuff because you're afraid it'll, it'll go away. However, I never allowed myself to get close to him. And I asked, but God, I'm sorry. I had to repent that day. I'm sorry I, I, never, I never let my guard down. It never was authentic. Be part of a community. Not just going on church on Sunday. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that you give us the opportunity, that we, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that you give us the opportunity to have 
authentic fellowship with one another, that you give us the opportunity to build in one another's lives and be a family. And I pray that that that's what we would do, that you would just put it on our hearts to be authentic, to be real. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. But let us get uncomfortable with one another. I pray that for anyone in here that, that, that's struggling, that they wouldn't struggle alone. That they would tell someone their struggle and, and the, the other person would just love on them and encourage them. And I pray for the community groups, Father, that they just continue to grow and that they wouldn't fizzle out, that the people would be intentional with one another, reaching out to one another. Allow us to be authentic. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Would the ushers please come forward for this morning's offering? And let's pray for the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for, for your word this morning. God, for your presence this morning. And God, we just thank you that you've given us such a group of believers, God, such a community. Um, God, that we can come together, that we can have community groups, Father, that we can fellowship in your name, and Father, that we can gather and pray for each other, and God, that we can take care of each other when we need it. Father, we just thank you so much for that. Thank you for your word that you've commanded that of us, Father, because we need it so much. God, we also just pray that you'd uh, bless the offering this morning. God, as we give uh, joyfully of the, of the gifts that you've given us, Father, that we'd just be able to give back to you, Father, uh, knowing that you will, you will continue to bless this church, you will continue to bless your people here, Father. And Father, I just pray that we'd be able to take those resources and just use them for your will here in Fargo and Moorhead and everywhere else. In your name I pray, amen. Yeah.